Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the OKC Blue. Going to be doing a megapod on them, breaking down all 15 members from the roster, some of the guys on assignment right now, and kind of what the expectations for this team are. And on top of it all, guys, like always, I'm going to be giving a very special offer to you all from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But just starting off with the blue, like I said, it's a megapod. We are talking strictly OKC blue basketball, and the Thunder do play tonight. They play the Lakers. That's going to be a good one. Get the recap for that. But for the blue, they are starting their season tonight. They play the Salt Lake City Stars at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at the Paycom Center. And because of it, I want to let you guys know all about this team. A pretty unique gang of guys. So like I talked about, I'll be breaking down every single player from this roster and what I think of them and how I think this team uh, will kind of work in conjunction throughout this season. And one of the things that I'm trying to figure out right now, and I'll get that back to you, is how often I want to drop these OKC Blue episodes. Because I know last year it wasn't as difficult to do because there's 15 blue games. You can kind of pair those up pretty nicely with the Thunder, but now the blue, they're going to be playing a full 50 games ahead of them. So that's a whole regular season. Might do like a weekly segment with them. Whatever you guys want, just make sure to let me know. Uh, you go to my Twitter or you guys can go to at ThunderstickPod just directly. Uh, you guys can hit up the pod there, but we'll figure it out. Always going to have the content uh, getting churned out on BricktownBeat.com. Like always though, when it comes to blue content and one of which is just breaking down the team so just starting off with this group this is a really really different team from last season now there's a couple pillars still remaining but for the most part they have been run dry and the okc blue last season they were probably more fun to watch than the thunder i said it during the season in february and march and i'm sticking with it they had such a fun play style they had moses brown and omer yurt seven holding it down at the five had a couple of really good sharpshooters. Yeah, Poku doing whatever he wanted. He had a couple sports center level plays uh, in his like 12 or 13 games. But just the molding of that team was so beautiful. And they played extremely well to begin the season. They started 7-1. and one. They were tied for the top dog in the G League. But they slipped in a major fashion. They ended up losing six of their last seven games. And I think it was their last two or three where if they won, they punched their ticket loss after loss after loss and on the flip side they still could have got in with their record if like a group of three teams would have lost once and every single time it didn't go their way so they missed the playoffs going eight and seven but they have they had some of the best stats in the league and they might have had one of the best teams in the league to be honest with you but when you look at what the team looks like now and who's gone kind of want to start with the thunder assignees and these are players that Honestly, you know, they were integral parts of this blue season uh, last year, but, you know, they're with the Thunder. They've been on NBA scale contracts, and I don't expect them to go back. Now, I will say Mark Dagnall has talked about the blue being kind of an extension to the Thunder where he can just bring players down there, give them real-time minutes, give them the reps, and then maybe bring them back up in a little bit, and we've seen that. I'll talk about them, Um, but You know, for guys like Poku and Ty Jerome, they were in that farm system last season, but it doesn't look like they're going to get dropped down, at least not yet. And I think in the case of Ty Jerome, he's probably in the clear with Poku. 
maybe you bring him down for like three, four games, but the way he's been performing, I don't really understand why you take him out of the rotation entirely. I think both of them are probably good with the Oklahoma City Blue. So those two are out of it, I believe. And then also you bring in the two-way player in Josh Hall. He's not even with the team anymore. Now he was on a two-way contract, got signed to another one, was given restricted free agency uh, with like a $1.5 million qualifying offer. But the Thunder went a different route. So Josh Hall will be playing for the Raptors 905, which is another G League team, but he just will not be in Bricktown uh, any longer. Now, when you start going into the Exhibit 10s and some of the other guys that were major, major pieces and might have stuck around for this season, but just aren't, Moses Brown is the first guy. And Moses Brown was a star. He was the Shaquille O'Neal. He was the one who played wall ball with, uh, on the offensive glass. I mean, seriously, he would get offensive rebound after offensive rebound. It was not fair because he's seven foot two and he is springy as hell. Nobody could defend him. And you can just check his stat line and see that. Averaged 18.9 points and 13.9 rebounds. Had 1.7 blocks to go with it. He had all G League player of the week for week number two. Finishes the season on all G League first team. And he also got a call up out of the deal as he should have. He was a two-way signee initially, but with his play with the blue, the Thunder had to bring him up because he was just that good. And as we saw, Moses Brown had really good stat lines with the Thunder. Now, when you break down the footage, did he look kind of bad in some areas? Of course. I mean, for the uh, for the Mavs right now, you know, he's not even a steady part of the rotation and he very well could have been the 15th guy beating out Tyrell Terry for that final spot in Dallas. But you know, he was still impressive. He had those kind of stints where he just get rebounds in succession, looked like a pretty good lob threat. Uh, the big issue with him, though, uh, was just he, on the defensive side, couldn't really hang with players in terms of the pick and roll. He always gave up too much space, led to wide open runners and floaters, and then also the center could get uh, inside. But regardless, you know, Moses Brown still played over the uh, half of the Thunder games last year. He played 42 of them, put up averages of 8.9 points and 8.6 rebounds. That is pretty damn impressive. And you cannot forget, and he was dropping 2020 stat lines. I think he actually got in a stat category uh, only with Shaquille O'Neal. Like that's how exclusive it was. Some like 2025 stat line. It was, it was something, but yeah, his season was wild, obviously with the trade to the Celtics that kind of cut him uh, from being with the blue. I think anyways, he would have stayed with the Thunder if it was the case, but he went to the Celtics, went to the Mavs, and that is his current home. But that's a big chunk taken away because Moses Brown gave Grant Gibbs so much wiggle room because you just had to throw it inside throw an entry pass and Moses Brown would just slam it home just get a high ball screen going you get a guy up top for a floater or a kick out just so much room would be carved and if it wasn't carved Moses Brown could create it for himself and with his rebounding ability it never was an issue so he was a star and then the other star off the bench in Omer Yurt 7 is also God he's on an NBA roster as well now he was crazy good off the bench averaged 15.2 points and 9.3 rebounds also had 1.4 blocks while playing off the bench primarily now he did have two games i believe where he started and he dropped 34 points i believe in one of those so that was more than moses brown had dropped all season omir yard seven was a bucket getter like if he was in the starting rotation i think he could have still gotten the averages of 
19 and 14 like what Moses Brown had because Omir at seven he's not as athletic and he's only seven feet tall that's still pretty big uh, for the G League level but he could stretch the floor out more so than Moses Brown Moses Brown couldn't really hit a shot past uh, five feet with your seven you know, he was a guy who actually lived and died off the post turnaround to begin the 2020-21 season, and he just kind of feast on the block, you know, backing people up, getting like hooks in, layups. He was just a back-to-basket big, but then he started branching out into the pick-and-pop game. He was a really good face-up shooter at the foul line, and that also kind of translated to just the typical 10 to 15-foot mid-ranges, and by the end of the season, he was one of the best shooters on roster i'm not kidding he finished the year shooting seven of 12 from three and he just needed to set up a high ball screen for whoever it could be xavier simpson rob edwards ty jerome when he was there and it became a major issue because people were not taking your seven seriously and he just kept canning jumper after jumper so he looked very good uh, after the g league commenced but he didn't have a contract and he just sat around for a little bit until the Miami Heat gave him one in May. He was training in Miami for months, so maybe it was premeditated for him to sign, but he got a two-year deal, and that's one where, uh, just like Charlie Brown Jr., who's not with the Thunder anymore, you get the one year. The one year's all of a week, really, and it's guaranteed, so he got money off of it, but the second year is fully non-guaranteed. But he was so good in the summer league outlets that he ended up getting that year guaranteed and he got another deal tacked on so he is going to be on this season for the heat fully guaranteed and i think next season uh, it might be the same where it's either partially or not fully guaranteed but he looked good in the preseason he's played in chunks so far with the miami heat and he still looked very good so he was a very decorated center he got the time with the blue but mark dagnall and company did not take him the miami heat got a real gem in Omer, you're at seven. But once you go beyond those guys, that's kind of where the drop off is. I think when you look at the two bigs, those were the two that might have had a serious future had the Thunder kept them or had they stayed with the Oklahoma City Blue. The other five guys are understandable. And Antonius Cleveland is the first one. He was 28 when he joined the roster. And it's the COVID year, right? So this is where players might not want to go overseas to play. They might just want to stay home. The G League was a good kind of sweet spot because it was a short stint of 15 games and you're playing in the United States. But Cleveland goes over there after being a journeyman overseas. Looked really good. Was a starter. I'd say through the first two, three games, he might have been the most consistent guy when it came to shooting the basketball. But he kind of slumped a bit to end the season doesn't matter though he's playing in one of the top leagues worldwide he's playing with the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL and if you guys remember the Illawarra Hawks uh, is the same group that took in LaMelo Ball just two three seasons ago where he won rookie of the year and you know we we kind of know where LaMelo Ball is right now he looks uh, very very impressive with the Charlotte Hornets so he's going to a group where he's going to get some time to shine and it's also going to be a raised platform for him so good luck with that when you look at other guys on that team I think right now Cameron Barstow is the only major one Uh, if you don't remember 2k games you probably forgot about him played for the Bulls for all of like a year so that's that with Antonius Cleveland Ryan Woolridge is a guy that I really just came to love because the connection he had with Rob Edwards was 
special, I think to say the least. It was very, very special what he could bring to the table, but he also signed overseas. He's playing with Arrakis over in Greece, and I think he'll do a pretty good job there. He got to play a bit with the Thunder's preseason, or excuse me, the Summer League roster. Wasn't near enough to really prove himself, but he was already signed overseas by that point, so it's a bit puzzling what happened there, but I liked him. You know, he came in to the Blues rotation last season kind of as a no-name, climbed up the ranks, and he had a couple really good throwdowns to end the season. But going beyond Ryan Woolridge, Chase on Randall, we kind of knew he was gone. He only played two games with the Blue anyways. He's looking to make an actual NBA roster because he played a hefty portion of minutes with the Magic last year and did all right uh, in that time span. Phil Booth is another guard who kind of fizzled out. I mean, he played really not like no minutes. He was actually the replacement for Chase on Randall uh, when he got signed. So Booth played for like the back end of the season, had a 15-point outburst in the final game, almost rallied them to the playoffs. That would have been a crazy hero story, but just wasn't meant to be. And then for Vincent Edwards, he had his second stint with the Blue last year, not returning. So that's the group that is not going to be back. But that leaves the door open off the guys that I rattled off. I believe that is, what, like eight different names? Yeah, eight different names, um, if you want to count Josh Hall in that mix, too. I'm not counting Poku or Ty, because they aren't going to add to that uh, that restriction you have with the G League. But that's a major gash, and that means a lot of different guys can fill them. And there's four new primary guys, two of which are assignees, two of which are the two-way guys, that will be having major shoes to fill. And Trey Mann is the first one. Now, I already talked about Trey Mann a little bit uh, when he got drafted, obviously, during the preseason and when he got assigned. Uh, But I don't know what he's going to look like on this team. I don't know if he's going to be playing uh, for more than just like road trips, you know, because the Paycom Center and the uh the Paycom Center hosts the Blue and the Thunder games. That's what I'm trying to say here. Maybe Man can do things where he's playing with the Blue and then he's uh, re- recalled to the Thunder for like the game, you know? So things like that could happen with Man or whoever it may be. With Man though, you know, he's the 18th pick out of the draft. I don't think you're going to have him lodged with the blue forever. And one issue is the guard rotation in OKC is pretty messy for the Thunder because you have SGA, you have Giddy. I've banged on that drum plenty of times in the past two weeks, but it is a serious one. And man getting shuffled to the blue is pretty beneficial for both parties because man needs minutes. He's going to get a major platform. And for the Thunder, they get to give sophomore Teo some minutes in addition to Ty Jerome some time on the floor as well, but Trey Mann is polarizing. I talked about his tape. I was pretty high on him during the draft process, and he's looked good. His handle is very impressive. You wouldn't think he's a rookie the way he's able to string up dribble moves, and the step back is just so lethal. Doesn't matter if it's from 15 feet, 25 feet, or 30 feet back. He'll do it, and he creates enough room. It's kind of like that hardened step back. Now, uh, when you compare guys from the draft class, he's not the best when it comes to step backs, right? Like Jalen Green is easily number one, but Trey Mann might be in that smaller category. And I think when you isolate it to just ball handling, Trey Mann is a top five ball handler in this draft class. And he might even be 
a little bit higher. Now, he's a scorer first. You know, whenever he was playing with Florida, he started as a freshman averaging like five points a game, just a bench guy. And then he finished his sophomore campaign as the team leader. But he also averaged five rebounds and five assists. With the blue to this point and the thunder, really, he hasn't passed a ton. You know, if, if he gets open space, if he gets a high ball screen, he's either going to step back and pop it or he's going to drive in, hit you with a floater or clash at the basket. He doesn't kick it out near enough. So I think man going to the blue uh, does make a lot more sense here because he does need to iron out his passing, maybe like Poku had to do. But as a scorer, he's going to be a scary threat that people will need to be highlighting because his ability to hit it off the dribble is special for the G League. And you make it even better when he's a six foot five combo guard who has kind of been able to do it all, at least at the collegiate level. And you have another guard here with Vit Kregi, also got assigned. He's also a guy who is a bit of an enigma. He's six feet tall, not just six feet, he's six foot eight. And he's played just point guard thus far in his career. When he played for Basket Zaragoza overseas, point guard. Played in the Liga ACB when he was doing this, by the way. He didn't play a lot, but Liga ACB is a top three league, I'd say, in the world. And he was there at 19, 20 years old. It's pretty good uh, for him. But yeah, when he was on the roster, he didn't play a lot. He got some minimal time in a role position. Uh, but last year was supposed to be the big one. The 2020-21 campaign with Basket Zaragoza, he was given the reins to have a lot more playing time. However, he tore his ACL last September, and that put him into this draft class, or last year's, I guess, where the Thunder traded up to pick 37 and nab him, and he's just been rehabbing in Bricktown since. He was rehabbing, I think he moved to OKC in January, was at a Raptors-Thunder home game in March, went to birthday parties, is always in the training facility. He's a rookie who has a lot of experience, pretty much a Ben Simmons rookie, uh, you know, when you take into account the injury, keeping him from play, but he has been ingrained into the system. So he's a person who could pop off and he did log points uh, with the Thunder. Like it's not like he hasn't played at the NBA yet, but it was for such little time. I don't even know if you want to count it. Like he got his first career basket, but when you're down 30, 40 points to the Rockets, eh, I don't know. We still need to see a lot more from Vit and him playing with the blue makes perfect sense. This is like the Ty Jerome route where it's almost a rehab platform. And after that rehab situation, you kick him back out. And just like Jerome was a beast when he came back, maybe Vit Krejci can repeat that. But he's a very crafty 21-year-old, predominantly as a ball handler. He's not extremely fast. He's kind of like giddy in that sense. But he can riddle off some crafty cross-court passes, like jump passes, even as a finisher. He's not insanely athletic, but he's willing to throw his body out to create contact, dunk on people. Doesn't dunk on people that often, but with the rim grazers, he can catch some bodies. Um, and then from three, it's more of a question there. So he'll need to work as a shooter, but I think his assignment, and in addition to man's really, makes some sense, and they're going to give him some big platforms. But those are assignees. Now to the guys that are probably going to stay with the blue a little bit longer. And Aaron Wiggins is the first one. I've talked about Aaron a lot on this pod. He has just risen up the boards since he got drafted. He started out actually in the G League draft combine. He was one of the top 100 prospects rated by agents, scouts alike. 
but he wasn't in the top 60. So players 61 to 100 got to play in the G League outlet. He was one of about five guys who got called up to the big stage, got called up, looked good in the real combine, got picked 55th in the class, and he led the team, or he was second highest in scoring with the Thunder in Vegas at 11.2 points. And he also has looked pretty good in the preseason and in his minimal time at the regular season level. But he's on assignment. I think he's a guy who could be getting starting level minutes, and he's pretty good because he can shoot off the ball or on, on the catch and shoot. That's what I mean to say. Catch and shoot wise, he's a good shooter. That's kind of what his calling card was with Maryland's, but he's tapped into the post game and the slashing game in his time in a Thunder jersey, which is promising. And then he's also six foot six, so he can guard the two or three pretty proficiently, and he's only 22 years old. Paul Watson's the other two-way signee. He's not 22. He's actually 26. So with him, he's expected to be like an NBA impact player right away. And he didn't look that bad last season. He actually worked his way up into an NBA standard contract with the Raptors. He played 27 games, averaged 4.1 points and 1.7 rebounds. Now the big deal though was his three-point shooting. And he had one game where he had 30 points, eight shots came from downtown. So 24 of his 30 points came from beyond the arc. And overall, his season average was 46.9% from distance, 2.4 tries a game. So you could be taking a lot more, but when you got to remember he's a bench piece, 46, 47% is just unprecedented. And the Thunder need three-point shooting, as we know, as we've seen through these first couple of games. And maybe Watson can uh, source that. I don't know if he's also like a starter, maybe like a Wiggins would be. We'll see kind of how everything works out with him. But I want to go into the key returns in addition to the new guys. First, though, I want to talk about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA is back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. To make it even better, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering same-game parlays. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving on to the key returners. I have honed in on four pieces. There are four returning Exhibit 10 guys. I guess that's how you want to put it. But some are definitely more important than others I guess if that's how you want to put it and the star of the show is Rob Edwards I have been going crazy about this man since February he was a microwave scorer with this blue squad with the thunder in the preseason and in the summer league even 
He was a beast as well. Had 23 points on two separate occasions in Vegas. When you look at the Thunder as a collective, their highest point total from a player was 23 in Vegas. Both times came from Rob, right? So no one was on that level, and Rob was playing off the bench when he was doing this. He'd have 15-point quarters where you had to ISO. He was ISO, and he could take two people at once and still hit you from all three levels. And he looked even better as a finisher uh, than he did with the Oklahoma City Blue. So he's a beast offensively. He's the Frank Jackson of the G League I guess you could call it, and he was the Frank Jackson of the preseason. No one scooped him up, though, on a two-way contract or uh, an actual NBA standard contract. I think overseas, he might have had a couple of bites, but he decided to return to the Thunder, and this is a move, whenever I first heard it, I was a little bit shocked because Rob Edwards, I think he's at a point where he can make some serious money overseas. I think even a EuroLeague or a Liga ACB would be happy to have a guy like Rob because he is so tantalizing with how he scores the basketball and how quickly he can do it. Um, but, you know, he's still electing to stay with the Thunder. Maybe he thinks there's some light at the end of this tunnel. He can gruel his way to a two-way contract or an NBA contract. I love it. I, I think with the Thunder, he'd be great. Um, there's a lot of guards, though. Maybe another team uh, could see his potential like Miami did with Omer. And Omer Yard 7 looks like a monster now. And we know Edwards, he kind of already is. But when you look at what he did last season, he averaged 12.5 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 1.5 assists. Shot 44% from deep, though. Shot like five attempts a game, so it was not a fluke by any means. He could just hit it from anywhere. On the catch, he was a beast. Off the dribble, he could do it as well, though. That's why I like him so much, and that's why I'm shocked he's still around. But when you look at what he can do, he can be your number one or number two option on the offensive end. Now, with the guys I've already talked about, you have Trey Mann and Vitt. We don't know if they're going to be here for the long run, but you have Aaron Wiggins and Paul Watson, both of which are two or threes. Is Rob going to be able to start? I'll talk about it in a little bit, but he's definitely one of the top five guys on this roster, at least in my opinion. But does he get the time of day? Grant Gibbs gave him the cold shoulder, kept him to the bench really the entire season. Granted, the one time he did start, he didn't look too impressive, but he was always behind Xavier Simpson or behind Ty Jerome, which makes some sense because Ty's with the Thunder. Xavier also was a good number one. Um, but yeah, he just got a tough break there. Hopefully he gets legit minutes though, because the way he's performed so far, uh, grants him, you know, the keys to this team because he is going to be back for another year after just proving time and time again that he could hit shots. He played 15 games, all 15 with the blue last season, 11 of which he dropped double digits. I think there were two or three where he had 20 pieces uh, coming in that six-man role. But yeah, he's wild. I mean, when you check his tape, I think the most lethal part of his game has to be the left wing three. That's where he got both of his buckets in the preseason. Did it in like 40 seconds, by the way. But you looked at it. Ryan Woolridge would take it past the timeline, and he'd just have to throw a pretty simple pass up court to a strolling Rob Edwards, and he'd just hit it in his stride. That's his moneymaker, and it works. And then when you look at him, he can try to drive inside because people are going to be tightening up on him, I'm assuming. And then we can really see him as a passer. So I think he checks the boxes as a scorer. Maybe 
the real hindrance is his defense or his passing because there were times he did get exploited. It wasn't all that much though, um, but there are some wrinkles. Maybe a couple more steps and he will sign on a dotted line, uh, some sort of NBA contract. But I love him. This is the number one heading into the season. Jalen Horde is back too, and he's just like Rob, where I would have thought maybe he got a two-way elsewhere, or he would have signed overseas. Jalen Horde has lived in France, he was born in France, even played on, I think, the U-16 team with Teo Maladone for the French national squad, uh, but he's going to be back with the blue. He got a pretty solid opportunity with the Thunder last season. Now, the way it started, he was actually the backup. He was the second fiddle to Alexei Pogashevsky. And do you really blame Grant Gibbs for not giving Jalen Horde that nod? Like Poku, he's gonna have to be—he's gonna have to be the star. He's your first-round pick, man. So he was a guy off the bench, probably the eighth or ninth piece. He wasn't really a major, major impact player, but when you look at the uh, actual tape, you would see that his impact was pretty huge. He was a really good defender, almost two through four at the G League level, and then also as an attacker, he led the team in free throws. He didn't even get the ball that much either, so he'd just take it at the corner, slash in, and he'd always get a whistle to get to the foul line. Now, he can't really shoot it. I think that's why he's probably back here. He shot maybe in the 20s with the blue and then with the thunder. You know, you couldn't really trust him to take a shot past uh, the mid-range area. So he'll be back. I really love him as a power forward. That's how they used him. And he's just such an energetic guy that can get it going on the other end. And as we know, defense can turn into offense pretty damn easily. Xavier Simpson is back too. This is the lone starter back from last year's team and he was great I think there were games that I actually preferred him over Ty Jerome uh, especially in the first four or five games I would say that he still was a great passer he was really good at patrolling things in the half court and he averaged 9.8 points 4.3 rebounds and 6.1 assists that was a team high last year he's 24 he was the first round draft pick by the blue in the g league draft last season and he lived up to that selection i mean he was someone who could really keep the pace um to its best potential where you know you're never forcing just errant shots like when the thunder got in significant holes if xavier simpson was out there it wasn't like he would just stroll to the three-point line and pop something he wasn't a very good three-point shooter actually so he wasn't taking him anyways, but you know, he'd get things going in the half court again, set a high ball screen, drive inside, and he was a pretty good guy in terms of the driving dish. And one of the guys he found a lot was Ty when it came to the catch and shoots. And I think with someone like Rob Edwards, maybe you can try to replicate that yet again. He's got a sky hook in his bag, and it's pretty interesting. He threw it out maybe 10 times last year, and it's so, so fun. Whenever they're up 20 and he's doing it, that's when you got to grab a bag of popcorn because uh, you can only just smile and laugh at that point. It's pretty it's pretty cool to watch, though, like I said. So Xavier will be back. Is he going to be the starter? I think he's he's shown he can be a competent starter. I don't know if Trey Mann takes that job. Maybe he does, but he shouldn't be really getting much uh, of a relegation if that happens to be the case. Last guy, though, that is returning is Melvin Frazier Jr., and he might be the biggest curveball of them all, to be quite honest with you, because even though I think Rob and um, Jalen could have went elsewhere, like overseas, probably Xavier too, 
Melvin's in a spot where he really was underachieving in his last season. Like he joined the blue as someone I was raving about. I thought Melvin Frazier Jr. was going to be the star of this team uh, last season. Forget about Omer, forget about Moses, even Rob Edwards. I was thinking Melvin was dropping 18 points. He was going to be the one getting an NBA shot at the end of it, but it was not meant to be. In his time prior to the blue, he was on that level. You know, he's picked 35th by the Magic, pick away from Mitchell Robinson's just uh, for reference, but he didn't get time. You know, they always signed a wing, a defensive-oriented one, just like Melvin, to put as that 15th dude on the Magic, and because of it, he had to lurk around the G League, but he was very good in the G League, actually. The 2019-2020 season, he was a star. Averaged 18.1 points, 6.6 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. Also had above two steals a game, which put him in the top five. He wasn't like that, though, with the blue. He was a straight role player. He didn't get much uh, court time, and when he did, he wasn't all that impressive anyways. He averaged 6.8 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. And honestly, I still hold out hope for Melvin. The, The tape you see from Tulane is one of the coolest draft reels I've seen. And it's not like an Austin Rivers hoop mixtape where there's dunks, there's this, there's that. It's just like the defensive plays and the energy plays from Melvin's time in college you don't see too often. And we didn't see a lot of energy plays from him with the blue. If he comes back for year number two and has a lot of the energy, I think he's going to build a reputation and he could start contending with some of these other guys like Paul Watson Jr., for example, in terms of playing time and in terms of that spotlight, maybe as a veteran, because Watson's 25 or 26. And then you look at Frazier Jr., he's 25. So it's not like he's this uh, potential filled guy anymore. You're kind of getting what you see with him. But when he gets on a roll offensively, I think he can be a pretty big issue. Now, he's got to start at the catch and shoot level. He was okay uh, with the blue, but the reps just weren't there. So I think he's just a sturdy bench piece for right now. But maybe you keep tabs on him if guys like Mann and Kredge get recalled to the Thunder and there's more minutes. Uh, that would be the best shot for a guy like Frazier Jr. to uh, take on and maybe snowball some momentum in his direction. But that's going to do it for the guys that we knew about already and the guys that we knew got assigned to the team. Now it's to the players that are new, new faces. They're either draft players from the G League or their pickups they got in the free agent market. And the biggest name you're going to find here is DJ Wilson. And I didn't think Wilson would be around in my pods talking about Wilson. I kind of just insinuated that he was gone, right? Like I thought Wilson would be playing overseas trying to hit it big because with the Thunder, you look at him, uh, actually look at his history. First round pick in 2017. This was not a measly pick either. He was selected 17th by the Milwaukee Bucks. Four years of NBA pay. And he was bouncing back and forth. He only played 142 NBA games. uh, And he was just kind of there with the herd also. I don't think he was playing with the G League for the Rockets. But he was just up and down. And the big calling card is his three-point shot. He's 6'10", 7'3", wingspan. So he can work as a 4 or 5. But the three was the big deal. He was going to be just a bench shooter for the Bucks, And it never panned out. He still shoots like 33% career-wise though. So... He might have some potential. He's 25 years old uh, now, though. So, like, now you're thinking, 
is he NBA level right now? And I'm assuming the answer is no currently because he is on an exhibit 10 and he's remaining with the Thunder. I thought that he was going to make a scare for one of those top 15 spots though because the Thunder desperately need bigs. They need a pick and pop guy and DJ Wilson has been serviceable in his career, but he probably needed to hit a home run to do so and get that contract. He didn't hit he didn't hit anything you know he probably got an out because he wasn't that great in the couple preseason games that he got time in I think it's kind of the Deontay Burton effect where you're just in so little you feel like you need to prove yourself and you feel like you need to take those big shots he didn't need to do that and uh now he's with the blue but I think he's a serious threat and I think he's someone who could garner a lot of minutes and a lot of points for this team so look out for him this is kind of one of those premium signees, I guess you could call it. Uh, next one up, Lindy Waters the third. He's not really a premium, but for Oklahoma State fans, he definitely is. He rings a bell. He played four seasons with the Cowboys, and he really ramped up his production in his junior and senior seasons with the team. He was a sharpshooter. That was just what he was known for. He'd go out there, hit it in the mid-range. Not especially fast, but he could pull up on a dime. He could try to slash in as well. His season uh, last year didn't involve overseas play, didn't involve G League. He stayed in Oklahoma. He played with the Enid Outlaws, which is not even the G League. You know, it's kind of one of those other subset leagues, like regionally. You got maybe five, six teams that always play each other. He was one of the better guys uh, in that association so he made a name for himself there and then he was actually shown in the um, photo from I think Jalen LeCue I forgot who leaked it maybe it was Trey Mann I'm saying leaked they literally were the guys taking it they knew what they were doing but there was like a team photo there was a team dinner at a Mexican place uh, leading into Vegas and looked like Lindy Waters was there, but he was not on the Vegas team. You look at it now, he's with the Blues. So maybe it was already kind of predetermined he'd be with the squad. He's someone I see as a bench piece though at the two and the three. When you compare him to the other players already on roster, I don't think he breaks the seal of the, even the second string right now, but as a utility guy, I think he could get a couple of points, uh, maybe get you the rapid fire like eight points and four or five minutes, something like that. Olivier Saar is someone I've talked about. Whenever I mentioned the new pickups in the little rumor transaction mill, Saar was a guy that stood out to me. Seven feet tall. He played four uh, seasons of college, three with Wake Forest, and then one with Kentucky. His numbers aren't that impressive. He averaged 8.5 points and 5.7 rebounds. But the thing with Saar is he is so bouncy. I think he's going to be a really good rim protector for this blue team, but also on offense. He has the chance, and he has the best chance on this team to be the Moses Brown. And Moses Brown's play, I don't think you're going to replicate that in the next 10 years of G League play. Now, Dakari Johnson looks like the MVP for four years at the G League, right? But when you compare Dakari to Moses, two different players. Dakari Johnson just scored because he was freaking huge. He just outmuscled people. Moses Brown didn't do that. He just outworked him with his verticality and his bounciness. Olivier Saar is kind of of that same breed where he lives and dies based on how high he's jumping off uh, the hardwood, you know? So I think that he could be a double-double threat for some performances. And depending on who starts at the five, if it is Saar, 
you could start seeing his name pop up pretty early. He's that dark horse, I think, to really make a name for himself this season, and he's only 20. Uh, I think he's only 20 years old. I make sure to check it while I'm talking about him, but he, I think he has enough room uh, where he might actually put himself in that spot to where, hell, you might want to take a flyer if there's another two-way contract that opens, and I got to check back. He's 22, so two years older, but you know he still does... Uh, have some pretty good skills that might be translatable to the next level. Anthony Robertson is the next guy up, and that might ring a bell. He's already played with the blue before. He played for Central Oklahoma senior season of college, went undrafted, went to the blue for the 2018-19 season. Wasn't all that great. He averaged 3.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 16.8 minutes. But what you got to know is he is known on the defensive end. And if it's ringing even more of a bell, it's because he's the younger brother of Andre Robertson. So Robertson was in the same, uh, you know, franchise. He was with the Thunder at the time that you had Anthony join the blue. Now Andre is gone, but they're going to give Anthony a second chance. Another wing. They are loading up on wings, just like the Thunder are loading up on guards. I'll get to it in a second, but they add another defensive guy right there. And they break the seal of defense. This little streak I've been talking about, it's gone. Justin Jarowski, this is someone else that I'm pretty excited to watch. And I don't know what his role on this team will be because you have Trey Mann on the roster, because Xavier Simpson's there, because Kretschy's there. But whenever Mann and Kretschy could be out of the rotation, I could see Jarowski being an interesting piece off of the second unit or maybe even the first he played four seasons of college just like everybody else here but the deal is he was a beast from the perimeter he played in the patriot league for lafayette averaged 21.5 points 3.7 rebounds and 2.5 assists in 15 games with lafayette and in his junior year still pretty consistent numbers from him he neared the 50 40 90 club with lafayette though that year I was talking about, he went 46.3% in all. So it already takes him off the list. But you look at him from three, 39.8. You might as well round it up. And then from the foul line, it's hard to make the man miss. He shot 91.3%. So he was a straight up marksman. I think he's going to do the same thing for the blue. Now with Jarowski, you kind of have to think, is he the one taking it past the half court line because he was a point guard with Lafayette but he's such a good shooter maybe you want to use him like Ty Jerome was used under Grant Gibbs last season where yeah he's a good passer but might want to use him as a secondary playmaker primary sharpshooter I think either way it's going to work with Jarowski and just his prestigious stat line in not a bad league like the Patriot League is solid you know but uh, it kind of makes you think, you know, how good is he? What does his ceiling look like? And that's why I'm intrigued. And that's why I'm really happy the Blue were able to scoop him up. Scotty Hobson is a person we know about. Scotty has been in and out of various different franchises, one of which was the Blue for two seasons from 2018 to 2020. But he is the definition of a journeyman. He has played for 15 different organizations in 10 years of playing. Multiple different continents he's played at, and then he's even played at the highest levels like EuroLeague 
and Liga ACB, but he's 32 years old. He's not a youngster, and he's actually older than everybody uh, within the Thunder organization in terms of players. You know, Mike Muscala and Derek Favors have nothing on Scotty. He has a good two years over both of the bigs, and he's got a lot under his belts in terms of, you know, being a vet, having those experiences in other leagues. And I think he can sort of be maybe the Antonius Cleveland of last year, where he can give you that veteran presence, but also he's going to straight up hoop. And he's hooped for a while. When I talk about Liga ACB or EuroLeague, even making it to that level is huge. But he was a consistent starting threat in those leagues. And also in the NBL, where he just came back from, he was efficient. He was a double-digit scorer in the 2020-21 season. He was also making the NBL like third team three or four years ago. So he's a straight-up hooper. I don't know if he's playing 20, 30 minutes a game, even less than that, just because the roster crunch, but he is just like a a Rob Edwards where he is going to be one of your top five players on the roster. It's just how you utilize him. He's six foot seven and he can kind of score from just about everywhere. So keep tabs on Scotty Hobson. And the last dude on the team is another prestigious well-known collegiate athlete. It's Michael Benege. And Michael, whenever I think about him, I think Michael was playing college basketball two or three years ago. It was like 2016 when he had his run, but he played for the Syracuse Orange. And in his final season, he was a star. Averaged 17.5 points, 4.1 rebounds, and 4.3 assists. I can already get those flashbacks from March Madness. Michael Benege was legit. And he was so legit that even as a four-year guy, he got picked 46th in the 2017 draft. He didn't really get to play much with the pros though. He's only played nine NBA games. So he's really just been a G League player. Played one season with the Pistons and three with the Santa Cruz Warriors. Uh, And then recently he's played in Germany and Lithuania. But he's back. And he is looking to make a name for himself just like everybody else is out here. And Michael, he's all right defensively. I think the big deal is just being able to create shots for himself. So there are a lot of shot creators. There's a lot of offense on this team. And there are a lot of rotational kind of hoops you got to go through. But it's still going to be exciting regardless of if it's just like a, a total nightmare rotationally. You'll get the highlights anyways. And they start, like I said, with the Salt Lake City Stars. If you want to check the full schedule, check the website post that I made. Or you can just go to the OKC Blue websites. I want to break down what I think this team looks like, though. And for the day one starting lineup, I think Trey Mann has to be there. Trey Mann's going to be at the one. And then it gets difficult. I think maybe the easiest choice beyond that is Jalen Horde at the four, just because there's no other true power forward on this team. Uh, and then at the center, it's kind of that 50-50 between Olivier Saar and DJ uh, Wilson. Let's give it to Wilson. So you get those three. But what about the shooting guard and the small forward? You have Aaron Wiggins, Paul Watson Jr., Rob Edwards, and Vit Kredge still on the board. Vit is a player who, you know, is on assignment. He's a Thunder player, but you got to remember that he just got off injury. So maybe you want to keep him to the bench. But what about other guys? Like Rob Edwards was a superstar. Let's think about other players. How about Scotty Hobson, maybe? At six foot seven, yeah, 
He fits the bill for a small forward on this team. Michael Benege, he deserves minutes too. I think they're just going to give the nods to the two-way guys, though. I think Aaron Wiggins is at your two, and Paul Watson Jr. is at the three. Doesn't matter. They're kind of interchangeable between the two positions. But that's going to make the bench unit pretty damn stacked anyways. And this just reminisces of last year's lineup, where I was confident with the first unit or the second unit, because there's always going to be that guy or two that can change the game on one of those uh, rotations and Xavier Simpson starts it off. I think Simpson's going to be that starting point guard once Trey Mann is officially gone, but we'll say for now he's that backup. Good, really good. He's going to get you set up right in the half court, but if it goes into the fast break, Rob Edwards can get you the buckets from downtown and he can still ISO it up. I think he's going to be the six man still, which I'm not sure I'm too happy about, but. It does make logical sense with all the two ways going to different wings and such. So we'll say Rob is there. Maybe the same situation where he's like 20 to 25 minutes until something changes. I hope not. I hope he plays 30. Hope he's a starter. But let's keep it conservative. And let's say Vit Kretschy's the starting three. And I think Vit is going to play maybe 20 minutes a game with the blue, at least right now. You got to get him, uh, and maybe even less than 20. Let me change it. You just got to get him at a decent pace right now to where when he moves up to the NBA, he's not startled at all. So I think bench currently makes sense, and you get to power forward and center. You don't have a secondary power forward at all. Let's just give it to Scotty Hobson. And at center, it makes it pretty damn easy with Olivier Saar. So the little front court issues make me a little bit upset because they were good. The blue was 7-1 because of front court, not because of back court. You know, the combination of both made them that. But if you didn't have a competent center, you were probably 4-4 four and four in that stretch. And with Wilson and Saar, I don't look at them and think they're elite level centers. I think Saar could be a very good one. With DJ Wilson... I don't see him doing what Yurt Seven or Moses Brown does. I don't think his contribution is on the rebounding side of things and the second chance points. It's from the three. So the dynamic of Wilson with this team is great. I think it makes it a lot easier for someone like a Trey Mann maybe to elevate back to the Thunder because there is a lot of high ball screens. There are a lot of pick and pops leading to mid-ranges or three-point shots. And DJ Wilson's the best guy on this roster to do it. So hand clap for keeping DJ on the team and having Trey down here to pick up some reps. But I'll keep it like that. I think the only real issue I have with the first two lineups uh, is that, you know, I, I don't think Scotty or uh, Edwards are deserving of bench roles, but it just kind of comes down to uh, not just youth, but also the contract situations and, and such. But if I got to choose, I'd probably line it up to where Trey's at the starting one. I want to see Rob Edwards next to Trey, man. I want to see Rob with the cream of the crop guys, because he has played very efficiently, even after a whole off season of doing nothing. He's looked like a beast. So I would put him at the two, Aaron Wiggins at the three, Jalen Horde at the four, and let's give it to DJ Wilson at the five. I think that if it doesn't work out, Sar could plug in and you could just make it a lot more about the interior because I think Man Edwards, uh, those two in particular can create shots from the perimeter and Aaron Wiggins would be the guy in terms of catch and shoots. But with this starting lineup I'm proposing, there's only one dude who can't shoot from three and it's Jalen Horde. 
If there's only one guy who can't shoot, I don't think it's that big of a problem. So I give this an A plus because you know I'm the one making it, of course. But that second unit gives you Xavier Simpson, Paul Watson Jr., Vit Kredge, Scotty Hobson, and Olivier Saar. This will change as we see some real on-court time, as we kind of figure out who works well with who. I think from the get-go, you're going to see a lot of the Thunder guys working with each other, and then a lot of the guys from last year's team maybe having a bit more cohesion. It should all work out, though. This is a 50-game season to where I think everyone's going to know each other fairly well by the end of things. And when I give that top 10 grouping, of course, I gave out, I didn't list guys like Justin Jarowski, who I love. I didn't mention guys like Michael Benajay, Lindy Waters. It's hard to put them there. I mean, it really is. They they made it just like the Thunder where, you know, is there a third team? Are you going to be tossing guys to the Enid Outlaws or some crap? Because there's too many wings. And I didn't even talk about Melvin Frazier Jr., guys, who I love. It's cutthroat. It is very cutthroat. And it kind of lets you know what the Thunder are thinking about. And either they're just looking straight up at true talent or they're just looking at filling the wings. When I think, you know, they could probably use a bit more guys in the front court than, you know, a guy who can play the two or the three and might be solid at defense, might be a good shooter, might not be, you know? So when I look at the top players and my top candidates, Rob Edwards is number one. I've already explained it. Just his ability to score is lethal. And, you know, if you're a blue fan, you're going to be trying to watch as many games as possible because I don't know how long he'll be on the team. Vid Crutchy's the same because he'll get called up eventually. But just seeing a six foot eight guy patrolling things, just like Poku, much different player, but kind of the same idea where it's just an oversized guard taking it right by you. I want to see some blow-bys. I want to see some very good passes. I think he could turn into a really good bench contributor by the end of the season for the Oklahoma City Thunder if he gets off to the right step here. And Trey Mann's the same thing. He has so much potential. He's looked really good in some of his tape. He just has to get that confidence up and maybe more as a passer as well. And then when I go to guys on the Exhibit 10s, Olivier Saar, he gets it done in terms of just being an interior player. And it's not that difficult. You know, I talked about it all the time when I uh, I mentioned the Oklahoma City Blue, but like these guys at the G League, the centers are 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". They have to get very crafty with the lineups. And when you get someone who's just overpowering you with height or with strength, it's straight up bully ball. And I don't know if Sar is really capable of that yet. I'd, I'd say if I can compare Sar to one player right now, it'd be Nick Richards of the Charlotte Hornets, who played with the Greensboro Swarm last year, did really, really well against Moses Brown, actually. And he might be on a genuine NBA contract now. But Nick Richards, Kentucky product, he's a guy who lived around the paint and lived around his blocking ability in the G League. And I think Sar could turn into that energy player. And, you know, Nick Richards was a premium starter. He wasn't elite like a Brown or a Yurt 7, but he was pretty damn good. He was a top third in terms of centers, I'd say, in the league. I think Sar can definitely be that. With DJ Wilson, 
I put him as a guy to watch because, you know, he can pop it from downtown, and when push comes to shove, a microscope will be on him, and if he's a good cog in the system where he's hitting three after three, you're going to open up Trey Mann to so many different avenues, and you're going to open up this whole roster to a plethora of penetration finishes, which I really want to see, and they have so many different areas um, where they can start dominating at. I want to give their stats from last season and maybe give like over and unders on them just because I want to compare it. It, it. They have kind of the same idea in terms of teams, but the front court's not there. Just starting out with points though, they ranked third in the league last season. They averaged 115.9. There were 18 teams participating. Now I think there's 28 or 29. So take it as you will when I say, you know, third, first, whatever the hell, right? I think they are a team that will be pouring on points. Now, defensively, are they going to be the most efficient? I'd probably say no, but it's going to be a gun show every single time they step out on the court because they have way too many good scorers, uh, shooters, uh, I guess you could call it, just from three. I mean, you look at Trey Mann. He's someone who could drop 20 points. With Rob Edwards, we know he can drop 20 points in a heartbeat. Aaron Wiggins has looked amazing. DJ Wilson, hell, he could sneakily become a double-digit guy if he's wide open and hitting from distance. Someone like Scotty Hobson, he was dropping 17 a game with the blue, you know, two, three years ago. I don't think Melvin Frazier Jr. is that type of guy, uh, but if you look at the Lakeland stats, he has found success in the G League. But what about Justin Jarowski, the man who was in almost in the 50-40-90 club, and he shoots 91% from the foul line. He's a player who could gun out for double-digit performances. So there's a lot of different lethal players, and with a guy like Olivier Saar, even if the team isn't hitting from everywhere, maybe you play bully ball, and if he's like a Yurt 7 or a Brown, which is a very high bar, you will get points just any time you want inside. And I think the you know, guys that are working with Presti, picking up the G League acquisitions, are very good at their job. I think with a guy like Olivier, he might have been underlooked a little bit, maybe not utilized to his best. And with Grant Gibbs, who pretty much centered his team around getting it inside, maybe you kind of keep Olivier on that same path and you make his usage just off the charts. I think you can hang around at least 110. I think 116 might be a bit too high just because they were so damn efficient around the basket. I think it's going to be a lot more perimeter-centric now, but I think they're going to be a high-scoring team. When it comes to rebounds, they're not going to be anywhere close, and this is where they're going to start losing games. They averaged 57.9 rebounds last year. That's first by a mile. The second closest average like 51 and it's because Moses and Omer couldn't get the ball out of their hands they're just stuck to him every time they shot it just ricochet right back over to him it was ridiculous I don't think they have those kinds of players anymore they have a seven footer in Sar, but that's not it and I don't know if it's gonna yield the same exact success so I see them as maybe a mid-tier to bottom of the pack uh team when it comes to rebounding, just because the bodies aren't there, and they have a lot of guys that are in the 6'6 to 6'7 range, just like what the Thunder have, so maybe you can get out into space and get some rebounds, but it's not going to be nearly as many as 57. Let's uh, give a little benchmark here in terms of what I think 
middle of the pack from last season, waivers around like 45 to 46 rebounds. I think that's about where I'd target them to be at this year. And for assists, they were also top five. They were top three, in fact. They averaged 27.2 per game. This is a toss-up because it really just depends on how Trey Mann operates. With Xavier Simpson, he was the top guy in terms of passing, and he always looked to pass first. Trey Mann's not a pass-first guy, really. He's a score-first guy, and he finds it however he wants. So if last second he sees a guy's guy's open, he'll gun it off, but if he has a little bit of daylight, he's going to go for it, uh, which would eliminate that assist. So I don't know. I think maybe top 10. I don't think Vit, uh, I think Vit's a uh, pass first guy, but I don't think Trey's going to be here all that often. So let's say they're averaging around like 24. I think that's still very good in terms of numbers because there's going to be a lot of different passes around the perimeter, I believe, leading to three point attempts. Might be some ISOs and then might be some entry passes that would also net them uh, some assists as well. So that's where I like them. Three-pointers attempted. I've already kind of foreshadowed it, but I think this is going to be a three-point team. The Thunder or the Blue, they didn't shoot threes that much. They averaged 32.9 a game. That was 15th in the G League, but you got to remember, there were only 18 teams last year, so that's like back fourth. I don't think they're going to be that. I think they're top half minimum. I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, hell, they might be shooting 36, 37 a game. They might even go into the 40s some nights just because of how this team has been constructed with Trey, with Wiggins, with Rob Edwards, with uh, DJ Wilson at the helm, you know? So they will be popping it, I think, really damn frequently, and that's how you get your points, and that's how you get some pretty exciting games. And from how they're going to shoot like percentage-wise at the three, it's really a toss-up. I like him. I really like Rob uh, staying as a f- consistent three-point shooter. I've seen enough from him. Trey Mann, I see him wavering around like 35 to 32. I don't know. Maybe he'll be up in the 40s, and you know, I'd be insanely happy to see that, but I don't think he's going to be here that often, so just one bad game could cut that average almost in half, right? So, it will be up and down for a lot of players. I think Wiggins is a consistent like 35%. Rob Edwards should be shooting around 40 once again. Lindy Waters, mid-30s, I think. Same with Melvin Frazier Jr. Justin Jarowski could be one wavering like 37, 38. So I say they do a bit better than last year. They, uh, they shot 34.1. Let's just go 34.5 to add a little bit of spice to things. So that's where I see them. Like I said, their first game will be tonight at 7 against the Salt Lake City Stars. I will get that to you. Zaire Wade might play in that game, so that's something to monitor with the Thunder. Like I also talked about, they're going to be going to the Staples Center. Lakers are looking to get revenge. Lakers are 4-3. and three. When you look at the Thunder, their only win came against the Lakers, so they are 1-6 and six currently. But I'll get the recaps to you all. I'll see about the blue stuff. Like I said, you guys can always talk to me about that. But for now, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.